Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my new colleague today, uh, Candace Buckner, uh, the new Wizards beat writer, uh, formerly from the Indianapolis Star. She did an awesome job covering the Pacers and is yet another person who's a better writer than me on the staff. So, Candace, <laughs> how's it going? Um, I, I appreciate that compliment. I don't know if it's true, but it's going good. Uh, the humidity isn't killing me yet here in D.C., so uh, nothing to complain about. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that first. I mean, you're 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 from St. Louis, right? Right. It right. gets hot. So, yeah, there. I was going to say you're from the Midwest. I mean, and I, I grew up in Western New York State, which is like basically the eastern edge of the the Midwest, and and it does get pretty sticky in the summer. But uh, what what has it been like, kind of walking into D.C. <laughs> in August? Um, okay, so so from what I understand, August this August this past August was the hottest August on record. Um, I don't know if it's in history, but definitely in a darn long time. So <laughs> I got that going for me. And I understand there are a po- there's a possibility that this could be one of the coldest winters. So whatever whatever's happening with D.C. weather, I don't want to be – don't blame me in my presence, <laughs> but it's it's – it's not pleasant. Yeah, I'll root. I'll root for the. Uh, I'll root for the for the uh, the winter to not be as bad. At least, hopefully, uh, hopefully that doesn't Ugh. come to pass. That would be uh, that would be rough. Now, I mean, obviously, in the intro, you know, and anybody listening probably knows that you you just came over from the Indy Star a couple months ago and, and took over for uh, Jorge Castillo on the on the Wizards, but who did a great job? Yes, he did. Um, and now he's covering the Nationals for us after uh, we had other departures and the staff got moved around, but. Um, but if you could just kind of walk uh, walk people through your uh, your path uh, to the to the post. How did, how well, did you get here? Timothy, back in 1980, a girl was born in St. Louis, <laughs> Missouri. Which, well, no, okay, so okay, basically, um, I started in this NBA beat coverage thing a little later in my career. I was, you know, past 30, and um, well, tell really, the people what you did before that because I don't even know if I know. I'm curious. Really? Okay. Um, I was in Kansas City. I was covering um, preps, high schools. You went to Mizzou, um, right? I went to Mizzou. Yeah, I went to Mizzou. I was a broadcast journalism major, and that's actually what you know my degree is in. But uh, right before my senior year, I decided that sound bites aren't for me. I'm long-winded, so why don't I just use that for writing and uh, have an editor deal with that? But, uh, yeah, it was really an a, a internship my right before my senior year in college that made me see the light and say, you know what, I'm a writer. I want to write. And I always wanted to do um, sports. Um, I wanted to be, I wanted to be the Hannah storm. I wanted to uh, be on inside stuff or like Willow Bay. I wanted to do that. Right. But uh, I just, I decided that I was much better at writing than I haven't heard the name Willow Bay in a long time. (laughs) Oh man. And now that's the inside stuff. No, no, I know. I just, every Saturday morning, I used to watch it too. I just hadn't heard that name in a long time. Where is Willow Bay? Now that I think about it. Why you're, I'm going to look it up. Actually try to look that up while you're, while you're continuing. (laughs) Donde esta Willow Bay. Okay. So yeah. Um, so after college, um, went the, uh, newspaper route. And so at that time, just like journalism now, there weren't a lot of jobs available. I took an internship in uh, Bradenton, Florida, which uh, thankfully parlayed into a job in Macon, Georgia. So you know what, kids, all you kids who think that, you know, you're going to get your degree and just pew straight to the moon, go to the largest media market, you know, be chilling in New York with uh, Timmy, that's not going to happen. So 
I, I did break. I did. Wait, 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 wait. I actually started one of my internships was in Phoenix City, Alabama. And if you don't know Phoenix City, there's no O in Phoenix. So that just that just shows you what type of town Phoenix City, Alabama is. So Phoenix City, Alabama, Bradenton, Florida, Macon, Georgia, finally Kansas City, Missouri. But I was actually there the longest time um, for the longest tenure of my career. It was only high schools. Um, I always wanted to do NBA. Uh, of course, there's no NBA team in Kansas City. Uh, we get a couple preseason games because of those um, that KU connection. Like Mario Chalmers will come back right. to town and they'll highlight that. But there's no NBA team there. I only saw my ceiling as high schools there. I didn't see uh, an opportunity to um, to to cover a different beat. And that's you know nothing against you know my editors. That was just the um, that was just the way the the newspaper was constructed at that point. You know, guys weren't leaving their beats, and yeah, why would they? Of, and there's a lot of there's uh, the Kansas City Star is is one of the the I mean, people might not know this, but it's one of the the best newspapers from a sports writing perspective in the country. There's a my ton gosh, of, ton of, yeah, ton of monster talents have gone through there. Kent Babb, uh, our Kent Babb, yep, our Kent Babb, Jeff Passan, Mike Vaccaro worked there at one point. Uh, Jason Whitlock worked there at one point. Andy McCullough is now covering the Dodgers. Worked there for a long time. Um, Did you say Pasnansky? Yeah, Joe Pasnansky was a columnist there forever. Yeah, there's there's been a like it, people. It's not a place that people immediately think of as one of the top sports sections of the country, but anybody in the business knows that if you worked at the Star, it's uh you know that's a really that's a really good mark on your resume. Right, and shout out to Mike Fannin for giving me the job. Holly Lawton, who was uh, my editor at at the time, and Jeff um, Jeff Rosen, who um, at at the end of my tenure, he was the guy there and treated me well. But again, I only saw my my ceiling as high school, so I actually I quit my job to work, work on a book in um, Northwest Indiana. Which again, kids. I don't recommend. Do not quit your job in the middle of a recession. So what was the book? I didn't know any of this. I knew you. I knew you were covered. I knew you covered high schools at the Star, and that was it. So what? What? What did you? Why did you decide to quit to write a book? And what was the book? All right. So uh, the book was based in Gary, Indiana, and the whole idea was I wanted to follow a kid during his senior year at this high school, Roosevelt High School in Gary. Uh, it's very historical high school in that part of town. Sure. And of course, and anybody knows Gary, it's a it's a hard scrabbles, um, you know, uh, uh, town, but has a great history. The Jacksons are from there. Uh, right across the street from Roosevelt is the Jackson home. Me being a huge Michael Jackson fan, um, you know, that, that meant a lot to me. But besides that, the town has produced, um, it produced the first black man to be drafted by the NFL, George Talaferro, um, one of the I believe Berlin Olympians uh, came from Roosevelt, came from Gary. And it's just it, it has produced a, a stream of people who are who, who should matter in our culture, black black culture. But I should also say American culture sure. and, the, and the town has just fallen on its luck. It's um, the, it's the best view of it is in your rearview mirror when you're leaving it. Um, it's just uh, <laughs> it's just it really is like a like a like a trap for young people. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not a good deal. Yeah, one of those so, places time forgot. Exactly. Yeah. E- exactly. Once the factories left, you know, the economy went down and sure. schools blew up and bad stuff happened. So I want to follow this kid who was born and raised in Gary, um, during his senior year when the school was in, um, was in limbo. Was it going to be shuttered because the school had, fall- had, um, had fallen on under the state radar or was it going to be taken over by the state? So I, I wanted to do that. So I, I, I worked on that book during his senior year. I never got a chance to finish writing it. 
not because I'm super lazy, but <laughs> I got a job. Um, I, I was there for 11 months, and it just so happened that the Vancouver Columbian and, Van, and Vancouver Washington, that job uh, opened up, and that was to cover the Blazers. And, uh, that Vancouver, was, and that was when? That was 2011, 2012. That was Terry Stotts' first year and um, Damian Lillard's rookie year, 2011, 20, yeah. No, 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 2012, 2013. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was right after the, I thought it was that the season after the lockout was when you started. Right, yeah. right. So um, I covered 41 home games. Um, you know, if a, a Blazer was uh, visiting the school, I did all that stuff because I didn't travel. It was a small paper. Um, so yeah, I, that was my first, you know, quote unquote, um, um, experience as a beat NBA beat reporter. Um, but that season, and it was a, it was a interesting season. The the Blazers, I think ended the, had like a 13 game losing streak and they had a whole bunch of youth, but you could see remnants of, um, some, something happening, you know, next year they did do better. But after that season, uh, the Indianapolis star had an opening covering the Pacers, so how I got on their radar, I don't know. Um, but I do think whoever put a little bug in Ronnie Ramos's ear and said, hey, why don't you check out Candace Buckner in the outpost of uh, Northwest, um, um, Northwest uh, Washington. And uh, I, I ended up covering the Pacers, the 2013-2014 season, which was people say I could write a book about that season because, you know, that's when the, the Pacers were number one you know, then all of a sudden come the calendar year, they start having all these little soap opera moments. Did someone sleep with someone's girlfriend? Did someone punch somebody out in practice? It was a lot of intrigue and just great, great material to write about. Um, and they ended up going to the Eastern Conference Finals and losing to the Heat. But it was a fun season. And that was, you know, my first real uh, time getting experience covering an NBA team uh, full time. And here I am now. Now that that was a uh, that was a really that whole that whole two year run with the Pacers was pretty. I guess three years, I should say. Uh, that that three year run was was pretty fascinating. When you right when you in August, that, when you think back to that team, that first team, like you said, I mean they they really looked like they they were gonna be. You know they they might just be better than the Heat that year, and then. Everything went sideways, and then they almost lost in the first round of the uh, right. to the Hawks, and then they still managed to get to the conference finals and gave the Heat some trouble anyway. Um, and then you had Lance leaving that summer, kind of out of out of nowhere, like no one really thought that, that he was going to ever, ever actually wind up leaving, and then he did. And um, then obviously, you know, Paul George had that terrible broken leg. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's been it's been kind of a it, it is it's kind of I think it's a I think that whole situation with the Pacers is kind of uh, instructive in that, you know, people a lot of times, you know, in, in the Warriors, I think are the latest example, though it's a little different. They kind of look at a team and say, well, this is how this is going to be for the next five or six years. And, right. you know, in the NBA, especially now with the way players change teams and the way contracts are and, and everything else, you know, it's kind of hard to have, a longer run than that Pacers team did. I mean, they really had probably four years where they were really good and like on the rise. And then like now they, they, the last couple of years, they've kind of had to start over again. Right. Because um, they really started to change once Vogel took over and they got David West uh, during that blackout season. And, you know, that was their identity and it worked. There was always progression each and every year. And you really did think that, yeah, this, this team, 
um, that that was like, you know, one for all blue collar go swagger, uh, which was their um, their motto. You thought that was going to be the team as ugly as some of their games were. I guess they, they, they were satisfying to watch because they did look like a team. You thought, you know, that was that young core was going to uh, eventually make it to the finals and it just never happened. And when uh, after I think, you know, the Paul George injury, I didn't know it at the time, but that really was the beginning of the end of um, the the uh, Smash Mouth era. And you see now he is the last one standing. Yeah, no, and I actually want to. I actually want to ask you about them. You know, I, I want to get into the to, to your thoughts on covering a new team and stuff in a minute. But you know, we, when I saw you a couple weeks ago, we we talked about this. Like, I, I'm I'm I think in the minority in that I, I don't really like what the Pacers did this summer. Um, but I, I'm as somebody who was around that team a lot more closely than me. You know, Larry Bird's been pretty vocal that he wanted to change things up uh, overall right. over the last year or so. You know, in this summer he really went out and, and kind of you know, put his vision in place. You know, you mentioned that blue collar image the, the the Pacers have. Why why did Larry decide that that wasn't quite what he wanted going forward? And, and what do you think of of the moves that they made to, to kind of retool this roster around Paul? Well, as as successful as it was, and as many times they ranked number one in defic- defensive efficiency and just uh, points allowed. It just wasn't a very pleasant game to watch all the time. And sometimes when you you in a playoff series and you're scoring 80 points or 80 or 88 points or something, something very low, which, you know, which happens in the playoffs. But that was just their M.O. to muck up the game, make it ugly. But, um, you know, Larry says, Larry says in the playoffs, you have to score points. You no, know, obviously. But um, I, I just don't think that style was very um, appealing to him. And he, he said or he he, uh, initiated, he intimated that, you know, you can't win. You, you just can't win that way. And as successful as you can be, there's probably only uh, a ceiling where the Pacers could have uh, could have reached playing that style. So definitely wants to to average. I think it, I think he threw out a number and it might have been like a 101 to 103 points per game. Or I think it was close to 103. So definitely wants to score more, open up the game more, um, be able to uh, play. You know, you, you can't, everybody can't assimilate to that Golden State Warriors style of play, but at least show something where, you know, you're not, you're not the same milk toast type of offense every game. So um, I think that's, that's that, that, that was his thinking. I won't say I think that's what he wants, but that's what he wants. And as far as the moves, I really, I really did like the move to get Jeff Teague. Now I know you lose George Hill's defense, and George Hill would have made a better two uh, alongside Jeff Teague with running the point. But the Pacers needed a true point guard. They, um, they famously have passed over point guards in the draft to get bigs. You know, Tyler Hansborough comes to mind um, when they could have gotten. Um, I think they could have gotten. Um, Shoot, Ty Lawson, yeah, Jeff Teague say, at that point. Yeah, I was going to say that those guys were on the board that year. So they they never they they had well I shouldn't say never but uh, in the last um, eight years they haven't had a true point guard and now you have uh, an elite wing and you don't want to put everything in Paul George's shoulders and everything in his hands. So let let Jeff facilitate a little bit more and and take some pressure off of your superstar on the wing. No, I, I, I get I and I get that 
I get that uh, that line of thinking and, and not wanting to overburden Paul with with all the ball handling like he basically had to do in the past. I guess you know my my issues with them were that you know they were a team like to me in, in the NBA you always need to have an identity of some kind. You know, right. like whatever it is, whether you're a you know Mike D'Antoni's teams were gonna you know they were gonna run and gun and shoot shoot threes and do stuff and you know like you mentioned the Warriors they play a certain way the the Pacers under Frank Vogel played a certain way you know you, you kind of need something to say all right this is what we are about hundred percent right and I, and I think this Pacers team I just don't think they're good at anything anymore like they were they were a team that was really good at defense and they could grind out wins. And then they basically, over the last 12 months, they've basically gotten rid of, other than Paul, all the guys that play defense. And now, like, they brought in these guys that can score, but, you know, their backcourt's going to be, you know, like you mentioned, like, if they had George Hill still, and they had George Hill and Jeff Teague, like, I'd be, I'd be a lot more okay with that. Instead, they have Jeff Teague and Monte Ellis. And, like, that, I just think that's going to be a disastrous defensive backcourt and like I covered, I'll just say no, I don't ahead. see Monte Ellis finishing the season I don't either a with the Pacers or be in the starting lineup interesting okay. it just, I don't see that working just, I, as, I agree. You said, it just now, I agree work. with that now is there is there another guy because I, I haven't really thought this through is there another guy on their roster that that would that you could see possibly sliding into that spot or is there or would that have to be a you know at some point, they just decide to punt on it and move on from Monte and, and try to get, bring in somebody else. Yeah, well, that's the problem. I don't think they have anybody else. They have all these smallish guards. You have um, Aaron Brooks, Rodney Stuckey, Joe Young. And as tough as Stuckey is, he's he's in the same likeness as Monte. He needs the ball in his hands um, to get to the to get to the rim. Sometimes his jumper's on, sometimes his jumper's off. Aaron Brooks, who can get you buckets, but he's small. Joe Young, uh, who is a, a, a two guard in a child's body, um, and, yeah, he's, and he's, he's basically a, he's basically a, a young version of Monte. Like if he works out, like he's a he's a little he's a little guy that's going to score. Right, and he's only in his second year uh, on the in the league. So you have these four guys, and there's there's not a lot of composition or or, or diversity with your guards. So I, I do think they need a different type of guard on that roster, and maybe of the of the four who could be, I don't know, easiest to move, considering that Monte will be 31 and he's owed 11 million. But considering how the the cap is going to spike, maybe that's a bargain for some team. Um, but who can they move? I would say either Stucky or Monte. And at that point, uh, he's 31. So right. do you really want to keep him on the team? Yeah, no, that's just, to me that I just, I just find that whole situation very interesting. Cause they, like you said, you know, Larry Bird has clearly wanted to, to change that mix up. And, and now, you know, he went out and, and, you know, he did it. He went and got, you know, I, I did like them getting out Al, Al Jefferson, assuming Al Jefferson is going to be, uh, playing behind um miles turner coming off the bench um, see but al see and that's you y- y- the way that you kind of look at that that backcourt i look at al like a really because you say you want to speed things up score more points but on that second unit you know uh, he he's he's deadly on the block but when you pass the ball into him he's basically a black hole so how are you expecting rodney stuckey um aaron brooks and al jefferson to be a cohesive second unit. Now I agree with that, but to me, like I almost look at that as 
if you can get Al Jefferson to play for you for $10 million and, right. and be the anchor of your second unit, then you can just play differently on the second unit, right? Like if, and, and look, I, and if they decide to start him, then my, my entire opinion of that will change dramatically because I, like, I, I don't think that'll be the case because they, they seem to be pretty clearly committed to Miles Turner as they should because he had a heck of a rookie year. But, um, but you know, I, I just think like that move, at least you could say, all right, you plug it out into that role and he's a perfect fit. And, and he'll he'll destroy second unit big guys. He's still one of the best post guys in the league. Right. And you know they can they can kind of build their second unit around him. But if they you know I, but again like who knows maybe they told him he's going to come in and start. I mean he is a veteran guy. I don't know. I mean I I don't know if they've said exactly um, what they're going to do with him. But yeah, like they just they have all these play like I think all these guys individually are good players. Like Jeff Teague is a fine player, and Thaddeus Young is a fine player, and. Al Jefferson's a fine player, but it just I put this mix together, and I don't see any guys that can play defense. I don't see any guys that can shoot. Right. So right. I, you know, I just I just really wonder how it's going to work. And they, you know, they also have a, a you know they also have a new coach, even though he was there before, naming Millen, um, who's always played traditional kind of traditionally. He's always played a very slow, methodical, though efficient offense. And Larry wants to run, so I don't know how that's going to work. So I, they're going to be very interesting to me. Well, along the lines of what you were saying earlier, which I totally agree with, uh, the Pacers don't have a um, uh, an identity that you can easily pick out and say, yeah, that's what they want to do. Last year, when they started to play their best, they had the identity with Jan as the five and Miles Turner as the four. Yeah. If that means playing Al at the five and Miles again at the four, I think I would be surprised to see that, but maybe they may have something there. Maybe. But Jan's a pretty good defender, though. And I just, Al, at this point, I don't know. I just, there. I'm just not, I'm just not, I, I just don't see how this is going to work, at least to the level that people think. I mean, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be wrong. And Nate McMillan will do a heck of a job and, and figure all these pieces out. I just, it's just, it, it feels like an NBA 2K team. It's like <laughs> you, you, I was playing the, the, I was, I was messing around with the, the prelude uh, preview last night, but like, it feels like you got all these trade offers in NBA 2K and all these guys were like two points better than the guy you had before. So you made all the trades and now you have this team that kind of is better overall, but like, if you're not playing a video game where you could just kind of force feed stuff into place, it's just... I don't know. I, I I think it's gonna be uh I think it's gonna be very, very interesting to watch. But we, we got kind of down a weird uh Pacers rabbit hole and I wanted to get back to the new team recovering. So right. as you how do you um kind of a, a journalism question, but you know, you obviously had been around the Pacers a while, you got used to them. How how did you approach the last couple of months trying to um, familiarize yourself with with a new team and a new a new situation in Washington. Yeah, you know, coming in as an outsider, I wanted to see, I wanted to be able to have some context as far as you know what's happening and why people say the things they do about the Wizards. So I did look at uh, some Jorge stories again. Did did a great job. I looked at some Michael Lee stories, who who uh, was uh, our predecessor. Um, but I, I didn't really want to be influenced by, um, you know, other people, uh, other people's, um, you know, thoughts and interpretations. So I, I just, 
I just wanted to look at uh, the players kind of with a, a fresh perspective. So I did some light reading, but mostly um, kind of sh- I wanted to, I wanted to be able to just come in um, without without a bias. So long answer short, um, I, I have been reading some stuff from like years, years, years past just to get, kind of get an idea of, you know, who these people are. But understand that, you know, this is a new season, especially with so many different guys, so many different faces in the locker room. Um, kind of want to go in with eyes wide open and start fresh. Blank slate for everyone. No, and I think that's smart. And, and it, you know, I think this is a really it's a really it's a really nice situation for you, um, I think, just because you, you kind of like you said, there's all these new guys on the team and there's a new coach and a new coaching staff. And um, it is kind of a nice it's kind of a nice time anytime you could start on a new beat when there's um, a lot of new stuff going on with the team. I, I When I started on the Nets, it was when they were moving. Uh, I was around them during the lockout season, but when I officially was covering the team every day, it was when they moved to Brooklyn. And it was the same kind of thing where they had, I think, 12 new guys on the roster. And Whoa. even though the coaching staff was the same, they were moving into a new building and there was this kind of new era with the franchise. And it, it it you don't you don't have to really play as much catch up then when um you're kind of walking in at the same time as everybody else which which makes which makes life a little simpler on top of everything else you got to try to sort out right and i i know i have a connection with yon um because i've spent the last three seasons with right. with covering his team but I, I really do like the idea of walking in with so many n- new um, new guys, and you have to start at zero. Um, I I've heard great things, and I'm just speaking selfishly now, just on the journalism perspective. I heard great things about the guys who have remained in the locker room: uh, Gortat, Waugh, Bill. Uh, very good dudes to talk to, and of course, everyone's human, so they have their moody moments. But you know you unanimously I've heard that John Wall is probably the best superstar um, in the league to talk to. And I I would say Steph Curry, uh, in my opinion, would be that guy because he has to, he had to face it like every single day. He was um, the rocks. It was like a rock show last year. And so you have this throng around you all the time. But from what I understand, you know, John is just real raw. I know uh, last night, you know, Allen Iverson, got so much praise for just like, man, this guy's just so real. He has, he's always been real. And to me, I was, from what I understand and just my interactions with John, I think he has that, he's cut from the same cloth. He just, he doesn't care about your opinion about him per se, because he's just going to be who he is. And I respect and appreciate honesty out of people. You want to cover people and not the brand, or they're, they're trying to, um, you know, use the media as their marketing tool. I just want to cover people and show the humanity in these, um, in these, in these guys. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about, you know, getting into that locker room and, and telling some stories that hopefully have never been told before. Oh yeah, no. And I, and, and I, I echo everything you said about John. He, uh, he to me is, is the most, maybe the most interesting superstar in the league. Um, you know, he, I, I, I'm fairly, confident in being able to say this uh he is a guy that i think is is i think understandably been frustrated at the way that some of the other guys in his position have been at his position have been lifted up kind of above him from a a popularity standpoint whether it's Kyrie Irving or 
Damian mm-hmm. Lillard or some of these guys. And Reggie Jackson. Reggie ja- <laughs> right, right. The Reggie Jackson thing. And like, you know, there, people I don't think quite realize the amount of um, behind the scenes competition there is in the NBA or really in pro sports in general, but specifically since we're talking about the NBA and the NBA, I mean, you know, recently, you know, John and John and Brad, both John and Bradley Beal, both, you know, gave these interviews to CSN uh, in the CSN mid Atlantic or whatever the, the, the Comcast station is there. And they, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they talked about how they, they're at odds with each other sometimes. And this, because it was in August, it was the perfect, you know, NBA story in August where all the blogs could go crazy about the fact that, John Wall and Bradley Beal aren't best friends, but you know, the, the truth is, and it, you kind of mentioned it with that Pacers team, on basically every NBA team, including the Warriors, where there was all kinds of behind-the-scenes drama last year, even when they were winning 73 games, uh, these guys all make it to the NBA because they are hyper-competitive alpha males. And like when you have all of those guys in a room, even if they're all good guys, which the vast majority of them are, the only reason you're able to make it to the top point triple zero one percent of any profession you're in is because you're a hyper competitive lunatic. And <laughs> the difference between most of those guys and John is that John is willing to just say what's to just like you said, say the things he's thinking. You know, a lot of guys like Steph Curry is a perfect example. Steph's an awesome guy, really friendly. He's really nice. He's very accommodating. He's also very boring. He's taken the Derek Jeter approach of I. If I don't ever say anything controversial, I won't have to deal with any trouble. Endorsements, will, my endorsers will be happy. Responses will be happy. Everyone will be good. Which, and I just want to say, I completely understand why anybody takes that position. I mean, Derek Jeter spent 20 years in New York and never really got himself in trouble because he was smart and how right. he handled things. But all that being said, John doesn't care. John will say that Reggie Jackson, it's crazy Reggie Jackson's making $80 million, which is what a lot of people, I mean, there are plenty of neutral people who are saying it doesn't make a lot of sense that Reggie Jackson is making as much money as John Wall, but you don't hear players saying it's, you know, you don't hear John Wall normally say it's crazy John Reggie Jackson is making as much money as John Wall, um, or these other guys shouldn't be having more shoes sold than me, or all that kind of stuff. And, you know, John's coming off his double knee surgery. The Wizards had looked like they were on the ascension, and last year they dipped. Like this is this to me is uh, I'm really fascinated to see um, what this season holds for him because I, I really think this is a big year for him. Uh, you know, he switched agents to Rich Paul. Um, mm-hmm. I think he was a shoe free agent. Like there, there's a lot of stuff going on with him, and you know, I'm really curious to see you know how he manages to bounce back from from this knee surgery and how he plays this year when when there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on him and on him and Brad after you know, the stuff they said and after the season they had and with Scott Brooks coming in and everything else. Um, You and me both. You and me both. Um, I hope uh, I'm right when I say that, you know, the ceiling of this team, ceiling is uh, probably five. I don't see them getting in four, but, you know, we had this this conversation before. But uh, I hope I'm right simply because I want to be right. But (laughs) I I, I do believe this this team led by uh, A, and I, I honestly agree with him. He 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 ain't he didn't he spoke no lies. He's a while Brad Bill is a one. Uh, if if he is um, you know right and you know he even had a good season last year. Um, oh, of course, know, yeah, he made great the great team. numbers. Yeah, made the All Star team. Oh, he and, and uh, yeah, I mean the people 
I, I did. I laughed at those comments too. There's no one who would say, other than probably Bradley Beal, that John Wall's not the best player on the Wizards. I mean, if John Wall's not the best player on the Wizards this season, it's either that Bradley Beal made a massive step forward, which it would be a really good thing, or that John is hurt, which would be a really bad right. thing. So, you know, the Wizards, are, I'm sure, are hoping that he's their best player again because that, that will mean that he's healthy and playing like he did last year when he was an All-Star, like you said. But going back to uh, Steph Curry, I mean, you're going to have um, a whole season of that, brother. Yeah, so, it's going to be a... <laughs> Uh, it's the it's just going to be a total circus out there. It'll be you know uh, what I like though. He gets see. one thing about our industry. A lot of us we give those talk about questions or those very convoluted um, uh, two parters. And just watching those uh, um, those finals press conferences conf- conferences, I was just impressed that he would answer the question. Like if he was given a, a stupid two-part question, he made sure to, to answer both parts. I, I'm going to refrain from, uh, from saying a lot of things about finals press conferences uh, that have nothing to do with the players and everything to do with the people asking the questions, but I will say... Talk about your frustration uh, with NBA finals there, press conferences, uh, Tim. I, I'm going to refrain from getting myself in trouble. Uh, all I all I will say is that uh, I, co- I completely agree, and he and LeBron and and a lot of those guys were just uh, are very patient in those circumstances. Um, but I just think you know, and like I said, I don't I don't say that Curry is boring as a knock on him. I it's a he's he's a very smart guy, and he's clearly um, he is he's clearly taking a specific tack, and it's and look, it's it's working for him. You know, it's it's a smart it's a smart thing to do. I just appreciate because I'm, because it's better copy. Um, I appreciate the guys like John and like Jimmy Butler and, and some of these other stars who have no problem just speaking their mind. And because it, you know, for me, you know, while I have, I think Steph is a great guy when I'm around the Warriors, I don't really quote Steph hardly at all because he usually isn't saying uh, anything earth shattering. And when he does, it's a real event. Whereas, Guys like John and, and Jimmy and, you know, and Paul, you know, I know, I, I know Paul can have his days, but, you know, a lot of times even, you know, Paul would, Paul George would be willing to say some stuff, at least in my experience with him in the past, maybe that started to change, but, um, you know, guy, guys like that are willing to open up a little bit. You know, it, it always makes our jobs a little more interesting when that happens. Right. And the last thing about that, I always think of that, that Kanye West lyric from uh, Can't Tell Me Nothing about John. I always think when he talks, I'm on TV talking like it's just you and me. Like that that's the type of dude I think John Wall is. Yeah, he just doesn't great, care that there's a, a great, mic in I front of him. I hadn't thought about that way, but that, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't it's agree like he's more. talking to his 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 boys back in North Carolina. Yeah, and I and I do think like it is kind of he is kind of a fascinating case to me cuz he is kind of he is kind of a an under the radar star. Like he doesn't even though he's playing in a big city, he's not playing in Utah or or Sacramento, like his buddy DeMarcus Cousins, or, you know, he's, I mean, he's playing in Washington, D.C., but he just doesn't, he, for whatever reason, whether it was because of his shoe deal or because he's playing for the Wizards who were down for a while, he just hasn't really has seen his, his, his name reach the same level as his talent uh, right. in the, in the, the public discourse. And I, like I said, I know that's something that, that has bothered him. And I, I'm, I'm just really curious to see how this year goes. Now, you mentioned, you know, we had talked and you said there's the, you think the wizard ceiling is around fifth place in the East. And I, I was thinking about this the other day and I, I like, I, I was very confident that they would make the playoffs. And I, I, I still think I am, but 
I don't know. It's going to be a struggle. Like I, 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 I'm with you. I, I think the top four, you know, other people might probably have a different fourth team than me, but I, I think the top four in the East are, are Cleveland, Boston, Toronto, and Detroit. And barring, barring injuries to those teams, I, I think that, you know, the, the top three teams will be the same. And I think Detroit, because all those guys basically on the team are all 22 and mm-hmm. are all back and they have Stan McGunny as their coach. You know, I, I think that, uh, I think that they're, um, I think they're going to be really good, but to me, you kind of look in the, the group after that, and you've got Atlanta and Washington and Charlotte and Indiana and Milwaukee and the Heat if Chris Bosh is healthy and the Bulls and the Magic and the Knicks. And, like, you can kind of, you know, I, I think certain teams in that group are higher than others, but you can throw that group in a mix and, you know, you could probably come up with six or seven different um, different scenarios. And that that's where I think the issues that John and, and Brad have health-wise could really be huge for the Wizards, not just because they're the best players, but that they might not be able to afford losing those guys for even a couple games. Cause I feel like this season is just going to be really tight uh, throughout those last final few spots in the East. I'm going to be that, uh, that annoying uh, uh, advocate for 82 game season and say the way that the Wizards get out of the season will be very important because if uh, John isn't playing or isn't a hundred percent and they have a slow start, that's going to be a problem for them because their, their end of the season is brutal. They're playing um, essentially on the road to, uh, uh, to basically end March and April, bleeding over into April. So I think they do need to build themselves a cushion before the turn of the calendar. And again, if John uh, has to miss training camp or he has to miss the beginning, those, those uh, late October, early November games, that could be, you know, not to press the panic button, but that that could be detrimental to the end. Oh, totally. And look, you know, like we've mentioned a couple times, here's a guy that's coming off double knee surgery. And like they can, the Wizards can say they're optimistic. I, I know they're saying they're, they're saying all the right things. And, you know, maybe he'll come back and be a thousand percent fine and there won't be any issues. But it's never, there's never such a thing as a minor surgery. And there's certainly there's <laughs> right. certainly no such thing as minor surgery when it involves both knees, especially when you're John Wall and your game is built on being the fastest guy in the league. Um, and it, it, that always makes me laugh. Whenever there's uh, cutting materials involved right. and hospital stays, it's a minor surgery. Right. Ah! Right. It, that's like that old line. It's always a minor surgery or a minor procedure unless it's being done on you, and then it's a that's the most important procedure that's ever been done. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, like I, I, like I've, I've made it very clear. I'm a huge fan of John's. I hope that he's totally fine, but I, I think it's, I think it's a dangerous proposition to just assume that he's going to be perfectly normal, you know, even midway through training camp after going through a surgery like that. I mean, he's probably going to need some time. And to your point, you know, the way their schedule breaks and the way the East is going to be, you know, this is a team that I think probably needs to get off to a good start. I mean, I know you, We're in in Indy, but you know there was a there's been a lot of negativity around the franchise uh, in recent years. Um, you know there there were a lot of fans who wanted Ernie Grunfeld to be run out of town as the team's general manager. Um, even though I think on the whole, you know I I don't really think it was a bad thing at all that he stuck around, but and that they kept their front office in place and changed the coach. I think that was the right move to make. But you know they they this is a war, a Wizards team that really could use some positive energy around it. 
and signs that they're moving in the right direction. You have these John and Brad comments. Like I I think we both agree they're pretty benign, but if, if the wizards start off five and eight or six and 10, that's going to come up every day. You know, what's going on with Brad and John? Are they going to have to trade one of these guys? Are they ever going to get along? Are they ever going to (laughs) win? I mean, you know, that's, that stuff's all going to start up if they don't play well to start the year. And you know, I, I do. I'm with you. I, I I didn't quite realize the schedule was as backloaded as it was. I knew I knew it was kind of rough at the end, but um, but they I think they really need to get off to a good start just to um, just to kind of to let people think that to show people that things are moving in the right direction and and get the fans behind them in a way that maybe they aren't right now. Right, and you would hope that having um, you know a full season with uh, Markeith Morris, uh, you know, that you start to see a little bit more. Uh, chemistry there and and potential for I, I do like their starting five. So I'll, yeah, I'll they just, were good I'll just say once that. they made that trade. I, I'm I'm going to look it up now. I don't remember exactly what their record was after the All Star break, but they were a much better team once they made that trade. Which is why you kind of wonder, you know, in retrospect, they I think they should have made a trade like that sooner instead of waiting because um, they just they had a glaring hole at that power mm-hmm. forward spot. They never really filled it because Nene was hurt and they just kind of let it sit there, but. Yeah, yeah, I I like the starting five a lot, especially if one of those two those two small forwards can take a big step. You know, then then you're looking at a, a group that's pretty long, a bunch of guys that can shoot. You know, Gortat and Mahimi are are good for 48 minutes a game. Like, I think there's a lot of things that that you can be positive about with them. Uh, definitely, but um, as I said in other interviews, it, it was just kind of surprising. Um, but now being in it, I, I get it. it was, but when I first got here, it was just kind of surprising how I, there was a there was a lot more down and, and negativity uh, around surrounding this team than you know I was aware of. So you're right. Get off to a decent start. Stay above 500 for sure. And you know, in the hashtag so wizards, from what I understand, is a is a popular thing oh, around yeah. these it's, parts. It's crazy. It's crazy how <laughs> how negative the fan base is there. Honestly, I mean, usually, usually when you when you're dealing with a fan base, it's that they're too positive and that they, they're expecting that the team is going to win 65 games, even though they're probably going to win 35 or whatever. It's usually a, a rose colored glasses scenario with the wizards. It's like a, a, like a black colored glasses scenario. Like they just (laughs) like the fans there, they just, they're just constantly expecting doom at every, at every turn and, and that the team is terrible and they need to get rid of everyone. And, you know, it, it it is it's it's a strange dynamic. It real it really it really has been interesting to kind of even though I'm still living in New York at least for now it it has been it has been interesting to kind of see that up close over the last year because it, it you know th- there should be a lot of things to be optimistic about and it just right. it's just not really there. That young backcourt, I mean, they're so young. There's the, there's such potential, and you would think the potential would be like um, will be enough to fuel some hopes, but. Um, right, it's almost like people have written them off because they haven't done it yet. They, right, you know, it, it is a, it is a, it is a really interesting, uh, it is a really interesting mix. But I'm, but I'm very happy that you're, uh, that you're here, um, that you're here and covering it. Uh, this was a, this was a great move for us. I'm, I'm psyched to have a, a friend of mine on the beat, and uh, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna do an, uh, an awesome job. So. I want to Appreciate thank you. That. I want to thank you for coming by. Um, but before you, before we sign off, um, 
you know, I, I will tell the people how they can, how they can find you on the various interwebs. And, and I know, I know you're working, <laughs> this is going to come out, you know, we're recording this over the weekend. It's going to come out on Tuesday, but um, I know you're working on some stuff. I don't know if you can share it, but you know, let, let the people know some stuff that you've written uh, that you want them to check out. And, and if you, if you can preview anything that's coming up. Yeah. So I always say it's, it's, it's a blessing to start in August because nothing's going on. And I, I, I left the heavy lifting of free agency to you, Tim and Jean. Um, but also it, I was, um, I was a little bored because I wasn't able to dive in as I have the, my last two gigs. So, um, I've really just been working on a Scott Brooks profile. I want to be able to tell again, that's, that's, that's my main objective, to tell stories that you haven't heard before. And Scott has been around for many, for many years. A lot of folks know his story. But um, I'm pretty excited about this one. I'm about to head out to uh, Southern California, spend some time with him um, around his domain, and get to know Scott a little bit better. So that will be coming down the pike um, during the preseason. And, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, start rolling out some more um, – you know, long form or just profile uh, stories on the Wizards and other folks of interest um, affiliated with uh, Wizball. So you can find me um, at on Twitter at Candice. It is an A-C-E, not an I-C-E, uh, D. Buckner. So Candice D. Buckner. And um, my Facebook page, just, you know, put that in the search bar and you can find me on my page there. Would love to interact with folks. And uh, follow me because I have a low self-esteem and I need my numbers to be <laughs> higher and make me feel like I'm worth it. So there. Well, <laughs> well, I, I can assure you, uh, Candace's profile will be great. So you should definitely check it out. And uh, yeah, like I said before, I'll just reiterate, I'm, I'm psyched you're on the team and your stuff's, uh, stuff's going to be great. I'm so happy Wizards. to be here. No, it's a, it's It's great. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you can uh, you can find my work along with Candace's uh, either in the Washington Post hard copy, which hopefully some of you are still reading, uh, <laughs> or on uh, or on WashingtonPost.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps or on my Facebook page at Tim Bontemps MBA. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Please give it a five star rating and review on iTunes. Just search posting up. Uh, reviews are very helpful, so thank you for doing that. Thank you to uh, our sports digital editor Glenn Yoder and his band, the Western States, for the themes for the podcast, which is great. Um, always happy to hear people enjoying the theme music. Uh, if you could search for Glenn and his band on the web and buy their stuff, if you like it, um, Candace, thanks again for doing this. I appreciate it. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm hopefully going to see you in a couple weeks before I head out West, uh, um, back in DC. Uh, but if I don't, yes, I'm, sir. Sh- I'm sure I'll see you down the road and, uh, I'm looking forward to all your work this season. So thanks for, thanks for stopping by and to everyone listening. Uh, thanks for, thanks for doing so. And we'll talk to you again soon.